there's a real difference between loving what you do and getting a job. You know, and I think the danger is if you get this balance wrong, is you focus too much time on how can I get the role? You know, people often say, what do I have to do for you to feel I can get this role? And I'm like, that's not that's not my job. Our job as headhunt in this space is for you to get be somebody who could be considered for a shortlist. Once you get on a shortlist, you then have to of four to six people who will be interviewed. You then have to interview well. And so I think you don't want to overthink this. You want to love what you do first. And then there are different skills for getting on a long list. So how do you get considered? Then to getting on a short list, to then getting hired. So there are different things, but I think don't overthink it as well. Just love what you do. And if you're good at what you do, people will, you'll develop a good reputation. And that is how people hire on the whole. Hello and welcome back to the Supporting Champions podcast. I'm Steve Ingham and if this is your first time tuning in then you're in for a treat. This is where we explore the often invisible aspects of achieving greatness and aspiring to perform whether in sport, business or life in general. We're not just about the headlines here, we're about the fine print, the strategies, the setbacks and the comebacks that make the journey worthwhile and we talk to experts from various fields, from coaches and scientists to leaders and, of course, performers. Those people who are out there trying. So it's not just about the performers. These are also about the people behind the scenes, the ones who are making champions what they are. This podcast isn't just for the elites or the top professionals. It's for anyone who believes in pushing their own boundaries, who believes in the power of progress over perfection. It's for anyone who's committed to improving to learning and to taking action. Whether you're a student, a professional or someone simply interested in personal growth, there's something here for you. So if you're ready to dig deeper and apply some real world insights to your own life, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today we're diving into a topic that's absolutely critical but often overlooked, the art and the science of recruitment within performance teams. And who better to guide us through this intricate landscape than our guest today, David Slemon. David is the founder of Elite Performance Partners, a firm that specialises in identifying and placing top talent in high-performance environments. With a background in professional rugby and a keen eye for what makes teams tick, David has become a go-to expert for organisations aiming to build world-class performance teams. Whether you're in sports or business, or any field where team performance is key, understanding how to recruit the right people is crucial. David's insights are not just theoretical, they're battle-tested in the real world, making a tangible difference in the pursuit of excellence. So if, if you've ever wondered how to spot the right talent, how to integrate them into your team, or if you're wondering about, am I the right sort of person for a performance environment, or potentially how to create a culture that attracts excellence, you won't want to miss this conversation. So let's get into it. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dave. How are you? Yeah, great. Thank you. Really good. I'm good for me. It's actually... Um, Friday, what's the date? It's the 23rd of June. There's no one in our office today, 
some people are at Glastonbury. So it's actually quite a nice, we're based in Bath, so we're not that far away from it. So it's probably a more relaxed day than normal in many ways, which is kind of nice. I'm the one stuck here still, but there's something about Glastonbury in this time of the year, which, uh, you know, longest day, just gone. Um, so yeah, I could probably a bit more relaxed than normal, maybe. <laughs> Amazing. Sounds great. Well, look, I'm, I'm really interested to get your expertise about about the blend of, of people in teams and how you might bring new people in. But could before we get into that, could could you just give me a little bit of a background to, to you? Because I, th- I think you've got a really interesting and quite unique background that perfectly positions you to, to do what you do. So could you give us a, yeah, a background sure. to start off with? Sure, yeah. So I guess my background well it's funny actually i've started in some circles explaining it slightly different and i heard i heard damien hughes speak we were doing some work with the fa and he was on before us and, and the way he described himself as he said you know i'm a coach's son and i and that i i'm that's what i am and i'd never explained it that way but it's quite a good way of explaining my upbringing you know uh i'd have play rugby coach rugby so i came through and his p teacher so grew up in and around teams dressing rooms you know basically his childcare was looking after me um or you know not looking after me at all me just happening to be at the place where he was doing the coaching (laughs) and that's kind of my upbringing and i got into you know playing rugby myself played professionally for a number of years and then as i came out of it as players transition as any athlete transitions out of whatever sport they do professional or not it's like well what do i do next and there's probably a whole story there but I, i managed to ended up going into recruitment, decided that that was something that is a people business and, you know, you develop relationships. I didn't, you know, you don't have to gain further qualifications to work in that industry, but if you get your head down and work hard, you can, you know, do well, you become advisors of the business that you work with and the people that you meet. So that was the industry that I went into. And Gemma, who one of uh, my wife's best friends was, ran her own hedge fund headhunting firm, so financial services. And she was the one who kind of guided me a little bit. Um, well, I probably ever thanked her publicly, so there you go, Gemma. Um, and <laughs> go, she, Gemma. Uh, yeah. And I wanted to get out of sport for a while. I was really keen. Right. I had, you know, sports science physiology degree, grown up in, in sport, and then um, – obviously played for a long time. So I was a bit like, I want to do something. To, I want to understand business. So she was like, what else are you interested in? I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and I was reading a lot about climate change and sustainability. So found a business that was in that area called Miramar, Andy and Ross, great guys. and worked there for three and a half, four years and set this business up effectively 10 years ago off the back of a, a realisation that I saw the process of rigour and professionalism of how people were recruited in industry in the corporate world. And chemical and energy sector was specifically what I was, what Miramar were working in at the time, what I was working in. And I was just in Germany in an airport and doing three different searches, but the same process. And I was like, why doesn't sport do that? And I was specifically, I didn't know, but I was specifically thinking about the impact of people on my career. And I was thinking of the SSC coach who genuinely made me believe that I was physically had the potential to play professionally. I was thinking if that person wasn't there then, where would I be now? So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of coaches and, and that's, so that's where it came from, I guess, my own experience as an athlete. And I spoke to a few people and quickly realized there was a gap that definitely was not, it was still very much kind of jobs for the boys. It was who you knew and, and trust is a vital element in 
sport more than any other industry that I've worked in. And that's fine. It's, it, it, we maybe talk about it in a minute, but that's how the business started. So it, it started as a performance recruitment specialist in sport. And I guess I had, to your point, I had something unique, shouldn't be unique, and it's not 100% unique now, of somebody who'd been on the sports side as an athlete and then also had recruitment experience. And so combine those two things of understanding the context and the environment of what people were going into. Um, we've, we've, we've changed a lot since then, but that's where it started. And that's, that's my background. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, you mentioned a couple of things there, which I might come back to just about that, that trust and that, that recognition of the value add that people can bring. But before I get into that, maybe just, just tell me a little bit about elite performance partners. I mean, mm. Without it specifically being all about your business, but yeah. I'm sure you'll want to describe it. But but for people who don't know about that that mm. that additional support that employment employers can can access to find people to get support, what what is it yeah. you do? Yeah, cool. So I guess where sometimes you know, we are very much kind of like client facing. So we work with the organizations in sport, predominantly in sport, we do it an odd bit outside, but it's nearly all sports, so sporting organizations. So we work on the client side as opposed to the candidate. So we, we're not in the business of finding people jobs. We're kind of in the business of helping teams in, or helping our clients create high-performing teams or get closer to achieving what they want, which sounds a bit cheesy, but effectively how our, our business has grown to in to include an advisory piece because what happened was we were known for recruiting high performing experts whether that's performance directors directors of football rugby cricket you know, heads of strength and conditioning that space physios doctors that yeah, the world you know very well yeah. um, and we were realizing often that the people hiring them were not performance experts in fact sometimes they weren't performance people at all as in they hadn't worked on high performing perhaps but not in that world and we were often going into search processes for hiring a person when they needed to start four or five steps before about what success looked like or what the organization looked like so no hire was as ever in isolation so we realized there's a much bigger peak we actually totally um talked ourselves out of business for the first year or two <laughs> because it was kind of like, you don't need to hire somebody, you need to reorganize and reposition. And so I think we didn't have the language to articulate that at the start, but we now have effectively three parts of our business, which which enables really individuals and organizations reach their potential. It's, it's kind of, you know, if you had to put it into a sentence of where it's at. So an advisory bit of working with the leaders, both executive and performance to unpick what it is that they're trying to get to and how they get there so very simply if you look at your world of where are we now where do you want to get to and how do we get there it's kind of if you have to really simplify and sometimes it is about giving the executive leaders the language to articulate what it is they're looking for on the performance side we do work with some really senior the better performance people and where they see the value is the fact that we're in the market we get a helicopter view of different sports whereas the very best performance leaders just don't have that luxury they're working in one organization focused on their team and their individuals yes strategically perhaps yes maybe looking out in terms of the vision of where they're getting to but they don't get the, they're not in 10 or 12 or 15 teams 
So what we can often bring is either letting people know that don't worry, you're doing fine. <laughs> yeah, you're having the yeah, same okay. problems the that everybody else greener. has. It's actually, yeah. you, you're ahead yeah. of the game. Yeah. And, right. and as soon as you give the leaders that, that you if you give them a bit more confidence, they relax and everyone else notices and therefore you then get better. And when you look at particularly coaches, they it can be very isolating for head coaches in football especially, but most sports. If you can make them feel like they're doing okay, then that's enough. So I guess we've got advisory, we've got lead search and selection, which is recruitment. Search would be headhunting specific roles against the criteria. Selection is our kind of head coach piece because often there's a list. So we would have recruited coaches where 80 co coaches are sent by eight. So yeah, 80 head coaches or managers sent by agents. And it's not a search process. You've got a list. How do you select the best five and the best one against the criteria? So that's the middle bit. And then we've got a lead, we've developed a leadership development part of our business because we're often off the back of placing people in roles, sometimes brilliant people, where you've done a global search for them and then they get left to, I used to say rot or stagnate, but that's just not right. It's left to deliver. You know, they don't have the time or space to develop themselves. So we've done some work in that space. It's kind of one-to-one, one-to-few, one-to-many. So like executive coaching in our business, leadership forums of peer-to-peer across sport learning. So getting with one from football, cricket, rugby, tennis, rowing, so they can just learn from each other's mistakes and create a community where they um, feel supported because actually it's pretty lonely at the top. Mm. And then the one-to-many is the work that we do around. So we were FIFA technical experts, which I love that. It's just a pretty cool. <laughs> and then, so we would do some work with them. We tutor on the FA technical director's course, uh, which has just finished some brilliant people on that. And we work with an organization called Focus, which is kind of democratizing education. So it's cheaper for people who really want to learn. And that's really good fun. So yeah. I, and I guess when we say, oh, we think leadership could be better in sport, well, great, but why don't we do something about it? So we, that is hopefully our way of educating or shaping a bit of what we see and how it can maybe get better. Okay, wow. So, so several different um, perspectives. It's not that, um, that traditional sense of, of recruitment, just that. Mm. I suppose my metaphor I'm, I'm constructing on the fly is, um, is if you're a, cast, a casting agent might find the right people but but rather than just letting them go and act you've actually given them some support and some coaching along the way and and trying to diversify some of the the acting talent for that those films in the future but actually just to add to that metaphor you're right it is a, if you look at a cast you get actors don't you who kind of who play off each other really well so kind of jumping on that Casting metaphor, I think it's it's a really good one. I'm annoyed I haven't thought about it myself before, actually. <laughs> so it's There's your gift for today. Every, thank you. Uh, although it's very clear now that I didn't think of it myself. Um, if, you th if you think of as you place an actor in a role, what you're thinking about is how do they um, connect with the other people on screen? What's the chemistry like? Who does, uh, who works well with other people? So, you know, what I immediately thought of, if you're hiring The Rock, you're hiring Kevin Hart, how many films are they in together? Because they obviously have a brilliant connection. And yeah. connection's such a big part of how teams, what successful teams do well. 
And I think where we've definitely moved away, away from is thinking about uh, transactionally roles as individuals. And every time you hire a person into a team or into an organization, you have an opportunity at that point to relook at your team and to relook at your organization. It's a much bigger opportunity than just one hire. And that's where we've kind of moved to. We've moved away from kind of like placing people into singular roles, although of course we do that and we love placing good people into good roles, but we've moved into the business of helping kind of those teams that we work with to kind of create high performing teams and improve. So it's just, you know, there's loads of science around kind of how teams perform well and what it is about them that they do. And I think, you know, 70% work for my MBA, 70% of teams, uh, their success is built on how they start. So how the, the team is set up is a really important, well, 70% of success is based on that. What's really cool about that, though, is that you can reset teams all the time. It doesn't mean that once it's set, you're done. You can constantly, and I guess the best leaders are the ones that we think that do that really well, is recognising when it's best to carry on or recognising when it's just a slight shift or recognising when actually there's quite a significant shift that we need to make. So whether it's picking up on the rock and Kevin Hart kind of analogy, but, but as much as anything, what I'm curious to, to hear a little bit about is the concept certainly in pro team sports, I think, where you have individuals move and squads go with them, backroom staff, for example, that, that you have sort of a complementary, I know them, I trust them aspect. What is it you're looking for? What are the dynamics that you're looking to try and respect? Because I think sometimes it's easy, f- okay, we know each other, we trust each other, we've got each other's backs, there's a, there's a history of working together. Or are you looking for a combination that's got a bit more of a crackle to it, a little bit more spark where actually we're not looking to recruit somebody that's just going to slot in and it's all going to be comfortable. We're going to look to bring somebody in that's going to shake things up or, you know, give it some sort of dynamism. What are the, what are the dynamics that you're sort of really looking for when you're working with a client? Yeah. It's a, it's a really well put point. I think what we really enjoy doing is, is, figuring out where the tensions are in any kind of brief. So if you're bringing somebody in, and so let's say it's a head coach, what are the tensions? So there's a a real balance of pragmatism and idealism is that, and I think you've got to recognize that they're the ones in the arena, that they're the ones who are going to get sacked after 14 months, statistically, if you're in the Premier League, might be less, but that's what it was a while ago. And so you've got to respect that. I think when people who make these hiring decisions and they're like, well, they want to bring four of their mates with them. Of course they do, because that to them, if they're the people getting judged on the results, absolutely judged, then of course they're going to want to surround themselves with the people that they trust and feel like they're going to help control that situation. That's normal. That's human nature. So it's definitely getting the balance of the extreme of somebody bringing all the backroom staff sometimes from a different country and then might not even speak the language, which is, you know, does happen. And then then them getting fired and then obviously being in a whole other set. So I think you do want to have some level of um, control from the club because they are hiring that person. But how do you give those that person, that group, the best chance of being successful? So there is a balance. 
we would tend to say a rule of thumb was of course you can bring an assistant <laughs> because often the head coaches won't be doing some of them are very hands-on but some of them are less hands-on let's take a step back and that somebody else would be a better technical coach you'd be developing individual development plans you might have a couple of assistants who and the point isn't about specifics it's about how that organization or how those people work and if they articulate it well as to why they might bring other people in then you're probably more likely to let them bring them in but when somebody goes, I bring all my assistants, why? doesn't matter why, um, that's just what I do. You might not be as kind of keen to hire those people. Um, so I think there's a real balance. And I think at the start of recognizing, okay, what does success look like? What is negotiable? What isn't? If you get that stuff right at the start, it gives you a much better chance of, of being successful. So and that's the key, by the way, is we kind of look at, if you look at head coach, there's, there's four stages to a process. There's deciding who makes the decision. <laughs> so who's involved? And the reason you do that bit first is often owners might get involved at the end, which is totally cool. But if you don't know or you don't articulate it at the start, suddenly they might come in and go, and it might throw the, the whole thing off. Second bit is what's the core criteria? So deciding actually what's important. Third part is running the recruitment process. Fourth part is kind of setting that person up. So KPIs, what are the, how are you going to measure this person's success outside of results? They're the four fairly basic pieces. What we tend to see is people jump in at the end of the third. And what happens in sport, especially coaching, but which doesn't happen in any other industry that I've seen is that people come with a list of names. So they might actually say, we're hiring a head coach. These five people are great. Okay, let's go back a bit. Or we've had agents will go, I've heard there's a role coming up. I have got three perfect candidates for you. Okay, well, there's a, there's a few issues here. One, there's no such thing as a perfect candidate. Two, we haven't written the brief yet. We haven't decided what the core criteria are. So how could you know whether somebody's the right fit or not? And thirdly, how could all three be the, be the perfect candidate? Because surely they're different people. So it's kind of like, it's just pulling it back to really give you more confidence that when you make a decision and you you know you, you've got you can never be certain because you don't know what's going to happen in sport you know if you look at football i just keep that as an example it's a low scoring sport so luck does play a part yeah um so i think it's just factoring in those things I've got away from what the question was now but that's kind of <laughs> no, no that's, that's how great. we look at it that really that really is fascinating and, and how many elements there are up for grabs when you're working with a client, when you're working with a company, mm. you know, if it's about set, maybe setting the criteria, are those the, are those the uh, opportunities for you to say, or, or potentially in the background think, there's a few blind spots here. You're looking for this, this, and this. Have you thought yeah. also about this, this, and this? Um, how, how much is up for grabs and that you're co-creating the, the process with the with the company yeah good question i it, it is i guess a co-creation but it's also often just giving people a language an explicit language that they implicitly already know so they know what good looks like they've seen it they felt it they it, it's trying to you know, we've definitely we were um a data analysis group 21st group who are brilliant 
around kind of more sub objective measures of performance. So it might be playing style. It might be um, you know, performance. Do they make the teams better? It might be youth minutes. It might, you know, this is a bunch of things that you can do there. And that stuff, we really uh, idealistically thought, we're going to just change the world here. We're going to help people. We're going to inform so much decisions. We're going to change how people think. And we fundamentally haven't because people who've been in the game for a very long time, they know what they know and that, that domain expertise is really rich. What we have helped do, because you've got a framework of what you're looking at, is helped people understand the decisions that they've already made and give a bit more of a language to it. And you've been able to maybe just ask the question, well, we said at the start that this is what was important. And this person who's maybe longer towards the bottom of the list, do, you know, you're holding them to account for the decisions that they've made at the start. And you've got to really respect that if a chairman, owner, or however it might, uh, might be, their head is on the block. So when they hire the experienced coach, it's because they're partly concerned, arguably, that of how that's going to be perceived. So yeah. if you're helping them realize that you're making a really rigorous decision based on the criteria that you gave, then they're more likely to do it through a process. If, if it's been set up. So one of the kind of the big bugbears of buying is when people say, well, do you know what? Let's just see if it's a good decision in a year or two. And I was like, that's not how decisions work. You know, you can't, but that's hindsight. And, you know, and it doesn't, you know, journalists can do that and like look really wise in the event of things that have happened. But on today, is this the decision? Are we making the best decision? with the information that we have, are we comfortable that we've done everything we can to mitigate any risk or to be as confident as we can be? That's the question. But that's just, it's, it's appalling leadership if people come in with that. Or it's like, you're basically washing your hands of whatever happens. And if it goes well, you take credit and it goes badly, you'll blame other people. So it's just, mm. um, it's is that, just an is that, interesting uh, work. I'm just second guessing here. Is that when somebody is just looking for a name to keep the walls from the door? Sometimes I, I think you do get situations where a lot of people are involved. And if people aren't used to running a process like that, it's totally understandable that they go, well, let's see how we go. You know, it's kind of, it's not, a, it's not criticism, really. You understand why people say it. Um, in answer to your question at the start about the co-creation piece about how we do that, what we really do is we've got to be humble. We're not in the organization. We're just helping them. So, what we tend to do is, if it, on a briefing call for a role, we, we tend to say, you know, a lot of job descriptions, they have, on average, 27 to 20, 25 to 30 things on them, whether that's responsibilities, criteria needed, those sorts of things. And that's a lot. You know, if you look at them, it's very rare that everybody would be really good at all of those things. But more importantly, you can't assess people in an interview process or a traditional recruitment against that many. So what we try and do is get down, what are the five or six things that are really important for this role now? And what we'll do is we'll let people, whoever we're speaking with, the client, they'll talk to us. So like, just download on us what you think, where's it's come from. And sometimes people can genuinely just talk for an hour. Um, sometimes they might need a bit of guiding, but you get to the point where, okay, right, but, and from that conversation, we pull out 
we've done it a lot now. So you kind of you can already see all communication is really important here. You've really got to have a really good influencing relationship with certain people. Oh, they, they they're a little bit their strategy isn't great, so they they recognise they need that. Uh, so you know you can you can pull out things and then we play back um, what what we think the five six criteria are. And on the whole, it, you know we're not far off. <laughs> uh, but occasionally, really interestingly, somebody might go, "Oh no, did I say did I say that? We we heard that. Oh, I didn't mean it to be that strong. Okay, so it's okay. kind of a, it's a co-creation in that sense, but it's it's our way of putting a bit more colour and context around a specific role because it will be around the organisation as well. Okay. And that's heartening to hear that that is a rich process rather than here was the last job description, here's the, the last set of criteria, just copy and paste. Um, and what is the sort of tendency that you, you're sensing from most of the people that come to you? Is it around a technical skill set? Is it around a behavioural uh, leadership skill or is it a cultural fit or a bit, bit of a blend of all mm. of those it is so I, I think if you look at the work that we would do it would tend to be more senior so it would tend to be kind of leadership and management roles and so it is often unpicking it's not too difficult but i'd argue it the, the human side is still as important for practitioners but when you are nearer the start of your career than the end, you tend to need to get to earn your stripes. You need to be on the ground. If you're a physio SNC coach, you need to be in on the ground doing that work for a little bit of time. So you have to do that. But once you get to a certain point, those things, the, the technical experience is a hygiene factor, as in you need to have it on your CV or in your experience, but it's not the thing that's going to get you the role. And so often, the work is what are the human skills? People call them softer skills. They're comfortably the hardest things to get, so we just don't call them that. We no, call I, them I call them core skills. skills. Yeah, cool. Exactly. So, so it's like, and how? What are the things here that really matter? And cult, and it might be the type of person. So cultural fit is the only thing that we uh, insist is on every brief. So it's kind of like, what is the environment that you create here? What sort of person thrives? And you can think of different organizations who would be different. And it's what we find is that sometimes it's quite hard for people to articulate that, but it's very easy for them to articulate what they, where they don't thrive. <laughs> so that's kind of, there's a, so there's definitely a technical piece. Do they need some technical expertise? Then there's a piece around the human skills and then there's a culture piece. We actually, during lockdown, we developed a model. So we suddenly went from having 14 searches to zero in a week, March 2020. <laughs> and we had some time to go, well, should we stop and just look at the work that we've done over the past 10, 20 years, if you look at the, you know, the experience in the, in the company? Are there any, we had a criteria approach always of five or six things. Can we look across sport, corporate, senior, junior? Are there a distinct number of kind of criteria buckets that we can look at and put all of these over a thousand criteria over 200 searches and we boiled it down to nine there's only nine buckets of things or criteria that you could put in so technical skill would be on one side cultural fit would be on the other you've got the leadership skills you've got the human skills you've got the technical piece and there's, there's only nine so i guess for us 
sometimes we might even show people that we tend not to actually in a brief but help people articulate what's important because people often if you get to coaching again of anything doesn't have to be a specific uh, technical sporting coach what was and they talk about the best coaches they've ever had and you ask them what it was about them it's it's occasionally it's technically but it tends not to be yeah so it's pulling out what those things are and then the second piece is that do you need to have have to have done that somewhere before or do you have the ability to see the potential in people and train it that's the other really interesting piece because you know what if we talk about unlocking potential how do you cater for that and there's a big thing around you know, the diversity if, if you don't if you if you're going if you only value or overvalue experience you're not going to have a diverse workforce because there's a group many different groups work of being given the opportunities that others have right okay so, so a factor in as well not just saying you've done something similar before therefore that that promotes your candidacy boom but yeah. But seeing that you've got the potential to grow into a role, you've got mm. some some track record of adaptability and, and growth. Yeah. Interesting. And are you yeah. seeing differences in, I suppose, what I'd, ca- I'd call, I guess, modern, progressive, forward-thinking organizations and and how I'll politely put it, more traditional organizations, ones that perhaps um, don't really want change don't really want to be breaking the mold. They don't want to be perhaps as innovative. Are you seeing big differences between between the, the two? Well, I guess we don't work with the traditional ones. Okay. <laughs> because because <laughs> actually, you know, our biggest competitor isn't the other companies who do similar things. It's the it's apathy. <laughs> it's it's that um, so I guess you, you would have. Oh, okay. in any, so they wouldn't in, even in come to you. They don't want. Well, they they don't want the process. About, so we've got an office in Melbourne, in Australia. We've got some guys over there working for us, and we went over there at the start of the year. And actually, really progressive country in terms of performance services, in terms of how their coach development, in terms of like some really outstanding stuff, in terms of how they recruit, it's quite a bit behind here, the UK, because that. Well, their language that it's quite an insular country because it's so far away from everywhere. So they they learn from each other. We work with a couple of like a rugby league team and a Aussie rules team, and they were actually sh- a couple of people were in the the meeting from the other team because they, they collaborate so well. And yet, we generally we run a, a workshop for 150 people across all different teams. And somebody actually put their hand up and said, "Why would we use a recruitment firm when we could just hire one of our mates?" that was a direct quote and we were like well maybe so i guess you know that that's kind of where it still is the jobs to the boys approach that we identified here 10 years and by the way there are some great companies and organizations there clearly but there's still that you know we can try and change that but you kind of there are some people who get it who we work with so we've got well 60 70 clubs and organizations over the time we're working with 10 or 12 right now so those ones great we're doing great work with them there's then a group in the middle and i enjoy trying to kind of challenge the status quo a bit and trying to help when you can see that there is some work that you that could help yeah. and then but there are some that are you know not there yet and that's fine it's, it's um that's fine <laughs> and and in terms of your um 
support for the industry, you're clearly trying to make a difference in terms of making recruitment more open and, as we say, sort of forward thinking and diverse. If you were to sort of stretch your thinking to those people that are kind of getting, trying to get into high performance, um, what are the what are the sort of top tips that you've got for them who are trying to kind of break through, get, get in, you know, get the trust of those people who might be, you might be appointing the people that are recruiting them. What are your thoughts there? So do you mean people more due, more kind of earlier in the process, just trying to get into sport? Yeah. I think there's just a really attention or balance between kind of like pushing and being respectful too. So kind of recognizing people's time, being respectful, but also if you do it in a friendly way, if you're polite, you can ask for people's help. You can do it in a way to just curiosity is the key in this space. It's like ask good questions, do your preparation, look at it as a job if you want to get into somewhere. And I mean, the, you know, the blood thing is if you, if you want to work in an industry, work for free. But that, that is actually the easiest way. It's not palatable sometimes, and it seems a bit like, well, you can't say that, but that's how internships worked. And that's how, when you're young, you get a chance. You know, if you, that's when people go on trial for nothing, for no money if they're applying. You know, it's kind of, if you want to show genuine commitment, do that. Now, you, you might not be able to do that financially. You know, you, you kind of, frankly, you have to be quite privileged to be able to do that. And I think now you really can't do internships for nothing. So, um, but I think... Just showing curiosity, being open, being present when you're doing it. That's that's the way to do it. And I think, and just being persistent and con- and consistent about how you go about it because it's hard and loads of people want to do it. And you've got to really want it actually. Um, but if, you, if you're kind of just a good person around it and you ask good questions, that's the easiest way. I'm obviously, I'm not thinking about a specific area. I'm just thinking about how you get into it. And then make, there's a balance between relationships and performance. I think there's like, a, and you've got to develop relationships, but you've also got to think about how you perform yourself. You know, yes, networks are important, but don't only focus on that. Do your work too. You know. Yeah. Okay. But that—that's the implicit aspect of it. Mm. Is that you've got to get an in. You've got to knock on a few doors. You've got to contact yeah. people. That—that yeah. that jobs for the boys is is probably a der- fairly derogatory term for ultimately you're known. Uh, you have some reputation and a track record that somebody knows about. And so what you're, you're hinting to there is you've got to showcase that. You've got to put, it, put yourself in front of other people in order to, to open the, the doors so that you can show what you can do. And you do have to do some work on that to think about why would somebody take me on? And I think you know, we do some kind of coaching, mentoring stuff with with coaches. And it's quite hard sometimes to articulate what it is about you that why would somebody hire you <laughs> or why would somebody give you an opportunity? So what is that narrative? How do you talk about yourself? It's like almost an elevator pitch, isn't it? You've only got 30 seconds. Yeah. And how do you explain? So when somebody, you know, meets you and they come away and goes oh i met this guy steve today he was he was great actually all right what why and you go well because of x y and z what are the three things that you want people to remember because people don't remember much more than that so how do you do that for them and it's and it's just do that work have a think about it um 
and that, there is part of that is and one of them might be just because they're so keen and enthusiastic that's okay if that's one but there probably needs to be a bit more than that yeah i remember the coming out of the beijing olympics and getting loads of feedback from performance directors about staff leaders co- uh, coaches and support staff and so what what is it you're looking for and the overwhelming phrase that kept coming out was they just get it they just get it and it was that sort of intangible aspect of yeah. it which we then had to say what do you mean by they just get it so <laughs> be a little bit more specific yeah. about the sorts yeah. of things that we're looking to develop or or coach or, yeah. or potentially hold people to a sort of performance management yeah. and, and what about in terms of leadership recruitment is there any yeah. trends specifically about the the things that increasingly people mm. are looking for from their leaders yeah, I, I think similar to what was said around that kind of the, the, the model and the nine book, the, the things that people is being able to help articulate what is really important. So leadership is the thing that comes up all the time, of course, especially if you're in a, a, a leadership role, but being able to unpick what's really important because leadership as a word or as a, as a concept is broad. I mean, just there's so much written about it. But what does leading in this organization look like now? How do you want this person to, I guess you could break it into a few different areas, but if you look at kind of what what type of leader do you want the person to be? So what type of person do you want them to be? And therefore, maybe what style do you want them to do? How do you want them to work with their team? How do you want them to work organizationally across the whole thing? What impact you want them to have on individuals? So there's so many really trying to break it down as to how you want that person to to work, recognizing the role the environment plays. Because you know people often go to bigger teams to get leaders, maybe who've been a bit lower down. When they you know, use the example of if you're looking for an academy manager. You might want to go somebody who's in League Two who has to be extremely resourceful. You know, arguably the more resource you get, the more resource you get, the less resourceful you need to be. So, having somebody who's had to do more than one thing and had an interesting career journey is is often a way to do it. But for us, the leadership recruitment is just unpicking exactly what they mean. And I mean, leadership is the key to successful organisations. Like unquestionably, it doesn't matter the plan that you have or the culture that you have, because those things vary. The only thing that we've seen that all the best organizations have is good leaders. And they're all different, but it's the only constant we've seen. I can't think of one right now of of an organization doing well that hasn't been led well. I mean, that's fascinating. And I totally agree in in the leadership behaviors, leadership skills is probably one of the quickest ways to 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 get under performance if it's just not yeah. right what um i can imagine that you would if you're talking to potential candidates i'd imagine that you'd be constructing um a flow of questions to get to know the person yeah. or or explore different competencies and, and abilities have you got like a go-to that's always on there uh, a question that just unlocks insight into a particular candidate that you would typically ask for those senior leaders? No, the short answer is there isn't one question that kind of, there's a, it really does depend on the type of 
organization that you're working with. I think there's different, I would say the thing that is the most important within a leader is self-awareness. So really understanding who they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses, how they act under pressure, where, how, you know, that, and there's a journey, you know, you know, you're constantly learning on that, but that's the thing that I think of um, the most. I mean, the one question that comes to mind, which I particularly like around, there's a big thing around bias that people just don't, well, people who aren't self-aware as they could be, don't quite realize how uh, it's unconscious, but there's significant bias. So one question that, has come up recently that I, you know, is front of mind at the moment is, can you tell me the last time that you underestimated somebody? Because I just think it's a really, it encapsulates so much about how people interact with people, about what those unconscious biases are, about which people they didn't think would maybe do as well as they could, because people absolutely judge people every second of every day. Because you need to, because we're, a, you know, we hunt in packs, you know, we're kind of a man also, yeah, yeah. actually understanding that. So that's just a question that, just, you know, you can talk around, we quite like the stuff around, can you explain your kind of biggest mistake and what you learned from it? You know, that vulnerability piece and awareness, you know, we've seen people on senior searches and the differentiating factor when we got down to two or three, well, there's one specifically I can think of where there's two candidates who are both absolutely brilliant leaders and one of them asked that answered that question brilliantly genuine vulnerability and honesty and one of them did to start with and then by the end actually it wasn't their mistake and so i think you know it's kind of like as a leader if you just go oh yeah i really got that one wrong it just gives everyone the everyone's human everyone makes mistakes and that's that's important so if you're leading a team being able to show people that you're like that too is such a massive strength um it shows that you're human so not quite i say that's the question that comes to mind right now um we yeah. would we would do it against the criteria so we would every time think about if you've agreed that criteria what are the questions what are the ways that you assess what's the environment that you set up in the different interviews that we have or different ways that we assess people how do you pull out as much as you can and then the one thing that we would say is the most important is consistency across the number of different times that we speak to people and we speak to people a lot and i think probably what we've realized we're quite good at is is recognizing inconsistency even when it's quite subtle so mm. are they what they're saying do they mean it and is it consistent with what they say at the time you will adapt to your environment so it's not to say that people can't get angry at times or be kind of um quiet at other times but is there a, a thread of consistency with who they are and how they act okay interesting so the hints to the potentially the the value of a multi-stage sort of a process to test people in different yeah. environments but it is, I mean, you, you um, without sounding too advertising, you waved the first hurdle book before we got started here. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but, I just noticed it's actually right here. So look, it's on my bookshelf. Look at um, that, look at that. I know, and that is, I saw it before I came and sat down. I was like, look at that. But but now I the, the but it's I rib I rib and sort of take the mick out of the questions about you know the weakness question or take you know making a mistake or that vulnerability expose type question when 
so it's so easy. And I think naturally I can understand why people might be protecting themselves because if you say, oh, I really messed this up and there was legal cases, you know, then suddenly you're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. you're overdeclared there. Yeah. But it, it sort of throws people into the, the sense of, oh, you know, I think maybe I'm just too charismatic for people. I'm just too good looking for people's liking. You know, that sort of question where yeah. they're trying to basically boast about themselves or they say, oh, I'm just too, so I just love it too much. That type of thing where actually they're, they're trying to present a strength under the weakness question. And I think that is an art of being able to expose a vulnerability of I've experienced this, my judgments were this, my reflections are this, and I've learned about myself, but I did make a mistake. It has growth potential to it, but it also is admitting something didn't go right. You you sort of let your guard down. It's quite delicate for people, isn't it, Al? Well, I think, you know, if you look at the senior positions, how you influence people and how you make them feel relaxed and comfortable is a real skill. And you can do that on you can do that online. You can just, you know, make it humor is really important and people recognizing how to use it and kind of being playful with it and not, you know, serious does not equal professional. The you know, I we see people who and and it's just a protective mechanism sometimes of being serious because that's what you need to be to show your professional. It's not, you know, you can be relaxed and know that you're capable. You don't have to be serious because if you are, people don't show the full the, their full selves often. So it's just the better people we see, and it's a generalization, recognize that. And they'll often deliberately make it relaxed at the start and informal, because if you do that, you, you draw more of people out because the people can be a bit closed or wear certain masks because they think they need to act in a certain way. Um, so the better leaders are aware of that and they kind of, they, they set things up at the start to, to maybe stop that happening. And I assume that because you're not necessarily just, there you go, we've appointed somebody, off you go, our job's done. You're, mm. You have got that follow-up aspect. I, I assume that what you're looking for is, is a fair reflection of what someone's going to be like in work as opposed mm. to a masquerade that you'll put a front on for an interview that ultimately yeah. won't necessarily last once people have got their feet under the desk. Exactly. It, it's, you know, it's a continuum as a process. It's not a in you go, off you go. And I think because we, so we've moved away from kind of, we will do it sometimes, but that transactional project-based recruitment where we much look, prefer having partnerships with organizations which are in for the long haul as in we're not just here to get a fee to play somebody and move on we do we are genuinely interested in people doing well you know we don't want to and what you know we're reasonably good at you know it's very rare that people leave roles you know we, we kind of place people they tend to stay and you know sometimes of course people will move on and go, go on to bigger and better things we love it when that happens but you're right you, you go on that journey with them and you kind of i and then my business partner jokes about this all the time. She's like, you just still want to be part of a team. And I'm like, and I absolutely do. I kind of like, I, I do miss that. It's kind of like, so every team that we work with, I've suddenly got like 25 results I've got to look for on a weekend. <laughs> it's like <laughs> so many teams that we work with now. It's kind of, but I love and that. And if you've got, if you've got a couple, you've then got to choose your favorite baby. 
<laughs> yeah, a little bit. Well, you know, you can always post rationalize. Well, you know, they'll learn from that defeat. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, for them, that's a good finish. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> so, so, in, so in the sense, I don't, I don't know that we've sort of almost uncovered it in, in that discussion, but, but are there any typical red flags where it's like, oh, okay, now, now we've had that conversation or now that we've had that style of, of discussion, that's, we're probably not going to go any further. Oh, yeah, definitely. What are the, I, I what are the, what are the major ones? Uh, manners. I'd say it's a pretty big one. If you're rude, we just not, wouldn't. I can think of a couple of people who have particularly spoke, spoken to a couple of our more junior people in our business, which is just right. not acceptable. That kind of almost bullying and I've got a bit of a trigger for bullying. So, you know, I just don't, can't stand it. And I just think people who think hierarchically, who think they're better than other people who are below them, that to us is an immediate red flag. It's just, you know, just be a good person. And we definitely see, you know, you, you, you can be successful and not be a nice person. And I think, you know, nice is maybe not the best word, but if people speak to myself and Anna in a certain way as the partners of the business and then speak to some other people in our business who are researchers or consultants differently and we can hear it or see it, that is an immediate no. It's not an immediate no, but, you know, it's kind of, it's a red flag for sure. That kind of inconsistency of behaviour or kind of treating people or talking down to people or, yeah, that's awful to me. And, and particularly when you see an inconsistency that you've got a different front for the formal panel interview type uh, situation, and then they'll talk down to the administrator, or it won't necessarily be um, consistent. Yeah. 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 Well, it's it, and it's the it's the it's the classic thing of um, people in and around interviews being put. So the waiter will actually be kind of part of the interview process if they go for a meal, or the receptionist will be asked what do they think of that person. That that is stuff that is set up. So that consistency of who you are and how you treat people is really important. And so that's that, that's the obvious one that jumps out is that just treat everyone the same. Treat 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 people how you'd like to be treated yourself. It's not difficult. Um, yeah, you got a full heist going on there by the sounds of it. Got... <laughs> 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 you know the dry cleaners you went to two weeks ago. They were part of the recruitment process. Yeah, you too. could have been nicer to them. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating, David. Do you know? Have you got just lastly? Have you got a sense of growing trends that you're having to upgrade your knowledge and understanding of as mm. as working demands are shifting and changing the the mm. people are going to have to you're going to have to recruit for you're going to have to be aware of what's the where's the sort of future out here there's been a clear shift since covid of, of people being much of candidates being much happier to say i don't want to work full-time in an office five days you know, even if they thought it in the past, they wouldn't say it until they got the job. Whereas now, expectations of people coming in is it's changed, but more importantly, people are more comfortable saying it. And there's a there's a tension there because it doesn't necessarily work not being in the office in real life in, in front of people. So that is a tension that's definitely we've seen playing out because people don't feel connected when they're working from home. 
some people that are totally fine with it and it's but generally in, like if we're looking at we do most of our work in team sports there is something missing if you're not them together and so that's a big shift of just that openness to um to be together i think that's the biggest one that jumps out is there anything else um th there's a shift in terms of uh if the professional sports teams of of how they're run there's definitely a move towards uh different types of owners that they have and therefore what that means for organizations and how that trickles down but i don't think that's really happened yet you know, the short-term long-term stuff that like that that's in flux it's not a significant change but the one about what the candidates expectations are and how that lines up with the people who employ them there is a shift there for sure mm, interesting hey look so so thankful for you taking the the time to i, I guess for for many people just have a little look behind the curtain i think mm. recruitment that 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 transaction and that contracting that people have going into an organization or being pulled in to to deliver a job i think this there's not nearly enough discussed about how it works how it yeah how those decisions are made so I love the way that you're thinking about it. I love the fact that it's not just, you know, bums on seats, get them in. It's much more holistic and, and constructive about the way you're doing. But uh, thank you so much for the insight. I, I would I would add one thing, actually, Steve. There's a definitely, there is a, there's a real difference between loving what you do and getting a job, you know, and I think the danger is if you get this balance wrong is you focus too much time on how can I get the role? You know, people often say, what do I have to do for you to feel I can get this role? And I'm like, that's not that's not my job. Our job as headhunt in this space is for you to get be somebody who could be considered for a shortlist. Once you get on a shortlist, you then have to of four to six people who will be interviewed. You then have to interview well. And so I think you don't want to overthink this. You want to love what you do first, and then there are different skills for getting on a long list. So how do you get considered? then to getting on a short list, to then getting hired. So there are different things, but I think don't overthink it as well. Just love what you do. And if you're good at what you do, people will, you'll develop a good reputation. And that is how people hire on the whole. You know, 10 or 20% might use people like us <laughs> or companies like ours, but on the whole, somebody in a role will ask their friend who does something else, is there anybody who's impressed you recently? So if you're consistent in what you do, that's the most important thing. And if you're passionate about what you do, that'll come across anyway. You don't have to engineer it. So there are different things, but I think don't overthink it as well. Just love what you do. And if you're good at what you do, people will, you'll develop a good reputation. And that is how people hire on the whole. You know, 10 or 20% might use people like us <laughs> or companies like ours. But on the whole, somebody in a role will ask their friend who does something else, is there anybody who's impressed you recently? So if you're consistent in what you do, that's the most important thing. And if you're passionate about what you do, that'll come across anyway. You don't have to engineer it or think about it. So of course, we're not downplaying what we do, but I think we don't want to think that, all right, I, I know the system now, I know how to play it. That's not it, because you get found out if you do it that way anyway. If you love what you do and do that every day, then you'll be happy. Yeah, when I was researching the first hurdle I, I looked at actually the, there are there is evidence that you can hack an interview absolutely can. but but yeah. that requires sort of almost disproportionate uh skilling up on manipulating <laughs> your answers to which i think absolutely. actually you need to just develop the skill of of 
articulating your answer, explaining your experience. But the biggest key there is like culturally, if you have, if you go for two interviews and we had the situation, Anna and our business, the example we use is Lego and Amazon. So she did interviews for both. So same role. And she's like, perfect. That's one shortlist. But it's not because Lego is a family run business. It's all we. Amazon is more I. It's a different set of what, how you're expected to act. You could totally, to your point, know that going in culturally. You could play that system. You could give the answers that those organizations would want to hear, and you could definitely get both jobs. You could not thrive in both. You've got to be able to be good at your job. And that when people, six, nine, ten months down the line, you go, that was a great appointment. Not, uh, have I been sold something differently from how they That's the worst. You can't, that's where we always say it's much better for, to not take this job than six months down the line regret it. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, look, th- thank you so much again. Uh, really interesting. Uh, you know, super expert, and but also kind of considerate for the industry of moving it forward. So brilliant. Thanks, David. Cool. Thanks, Steve. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen i really hope you enjoyed this week's conversation now we've got plenty more to come so if you'd like to support and champion us then take the time to subscribe and leave a review on spotify itunes stitcher youtube or wherever you tune in you can also give us a follow on twitter instagram and linkedin all the links are in the show notes so in the meantime have a great week